Hello and welcome to Martian Drive-In Podcast 164. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm talking about a few things. Uh, Star Trek Picard being one of them. As you might suspect from us being locked into our homes, I've been watching a lot of stuff. I've also been doing some stuff too, I've been doing the YouTube channel. Anyway, I'll get the contact details out of the way and then we can continue with the apocalypse. Martian Drive-In Podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a round table. Sometimes it's just random, particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleo cinema for as little as a dollar a week uh just be aware when you're listening to the podcast there may be some naughty words in it so if there are kids around you might want to listen to it later on okay how the fuck is everybody um times have changed since the last time i did a martian driving podcast we live in a changed and strange world full of fear loathing new terms to which we have to come become accustomed to like um physical distancing and self-isolation and COVID 19 which sounds like a great name for a robot but a shit name for a disease events and conventions are closing down world con's gone virtual whatever that means in this context and a few other conventions have closed down uh, including our local one continuum and uh it's an unprecedentedly weird time. People are making comparisons between right now and the Great Depression, but this is totally different for a start. It's going to be a lot shorter in the initial phase, at least. And probably the economic consequences are going to be a lot bigger. But it's, um, yeah, people, pandemics in the movies are a lot different than pandemics in reality. I mean, for us here now, it's all about being able to get sugar and toilet paper and keeping people out of our faces and nobody really suspected that rich people were going to be the main vector for this disease it was always going to be poor people coughing in alleyways in previous incarnations at least cinematically but no this time it's rich people going from aspen colorado to melbourne and then spreading their germs by having a party with their friends when they should have been so self-isolating we're getting a lot of that kind of shit around here if you look at the pandemic map for melbourne you can pretty much map the posh suburbs by the disease vectors. Now, that's one thing, you know, culling a few rich people is something which my social justice side may applaud in an abstract way. But the economic impact, of course, is, as always, on the poor people. So rich people go and party and spread disease around. Poor people lose their jobs. It sucks. Add to that an Australian Prime Minister whose expertise is in marketing and who lost every marketing job he ever had. And, yeah, it's a shit storm, but we've got to share the umbrellas. So um, how's your day going? But to be fair, we're getting some good stuff too. We're getting... Um, things like Sam Neill, instead of going and chasing dinosaurs around the place, is serenading the world with his ukulele on Twitter, which is kind of cool. Um, we're getting a lot of people just sharing stuff and looking after each other as much as they can, given the physical distancing we've got to be doing. 
and there's some great creative things. There was that really stupid version of lots of millionaire celebrities singing Imagine as if that would help us in some way. And that went down like a lead balloon, of course, because none of them could hold a tune in a fucking MP3 player. But the sweet little stuff um, kind of works. The personalised stuff works, like Sam Neill playing his ukulele or Anthony Hopkins playing the piano for his dog and then showing us his art collection. Just those little personal touches really mean a lot. And seeing past the facade of celebrity to the people underneath it is kind of cool. And it shows a generosity. Um, yeah, of course, they're all secure. They're living in fairly um, safe circumstances, with the exception of Tom Hanks. But for the most part, there's a, a real kind of sense of networking going on. Yeah, we're, we're physically distancing, but um, I've talked to more people online recently than I have in meat space for a long time. But having said that, there are people doing it tough, and I, and I appreciate that. If you are one of those people... Um, I don't know what I can do to help except be here and to keep people entertained. It's the way I've kind of approached it. I've looked particularly at the YouTube channel, and, yeah, I did do a pandemic movie overview uh, last weekend. Uh, This weekend, actually. It came out yesterday because I was asked to by some of the people who watch the YouTube channel. But for the most part, what I'm trying to do is keep people entertained and steer them towards diversions and entertainments, which, of course, is what I've always done with podcasts and YouTube channels and radio gigs and other things. I don't have the resources to do much else apart from keep people entertained, but we shouldn't really dismiss that. And there are people who are working really hard to keep civilization together, people stacking shelves, medical people who, particularly in America, are living their worst nightmares every fucking day um and i'm not going to get into trump bashing about this we all know what he's doing and what he's not doing and that his flaws as a human being are being manifest on a horrible scale at the moment and that it's not him who is wearing the consequences of that so if you're one of the people who listen in the states i'm sending every bit of love that i can to you because I know that it's difficult and I know that it's horrible and I know that it's intensely scary for everybody in this clay and granite planet to have to live through a pandemic. And hopefully we will. Um, I I don't want to lose listeners. But, yeah, it's um, there are some kind of weird side effects to this as well. I watch Mad as Hell, which is a comedy show hosted by Sean McAuliffe here in Australia. And because they've taken the audience out, they're putting their jokes out and doing all the kind of really pungent social satire still. But you don't have that laughter from an audience coming through. So it plays as a very different listening experience, a viewing experience, sorry, than it would were there a studio audience. And that's kind of strange and unprecedented and kind of not something you can really predict. Anyway, I'll get on to the stuff I've been watching uh, during the apocalypse. And I'll stick to the genre stuff because there's a lot of other stuff I was watching. I may mention something else, one or two things that aren't genre, but we'll start with genre and see where we go. Uh, Let's see, I watched Contagion with Sal, the 2011 Soderbergh movie. And to be honest with you, it's a hard watch. It's too close to the bone. It's too much of what we're going through now. And... 
it's a worst case scenario worse than this worst case scenario but um i think it's a good film i think that it's a film that people are going to use as a touchstone for our current era in the future and that's going to be kind of interesting to see how well it predicted what happened how we didn't listen to the warnings that were part of that particular movie so yeah it's um it, it's difficult to be honest with you it's difficult uh the andromeda strain was a lot easier to watch which um with some cutting edge 70s technology that kind of thing the cast apart from kate reed playing the female scientist and it is pretty ordinary arthur hill james olsen they're, they're kind of bland techno guys in there um uh, there's somebody who else is the other guy in there? there's another guy in there who's a pretty good character actor david wayne he's in there as well um and paula kelly who unfortunately died recently she's uh she was an actor a dancer and other things but it's not a bad rewatch even though it's kind of um a shaggy dog story in a way because the virus pretty much takes care of itself by mutating into a non-dangerous form and dropping into the ocean spoiler for a movie from 1971 but um yeah so i watched that I uh, watched Amazon Women on the Moon again because you need something light now and then. Uh, I rewatched Godzilla King of the Monsters, the recent one, and it's fun. Um, it's not as cool on the rewatch as it was the first time around, but it's fun. Uh, I saw The Last Man on Earth, of course, with Vincent Price, which is a good film. Uh, it's a better film than I remember it being. I, I talked about it on the YouTube channel, so I won't do too much about that. But if you haven't watched The Last Man on Earth for a while, check it out again. It's uh, It definitely bears re-watching. And then I watched The Dark Tower with Idris Elba, of course, and Matthew McConaughey. And it's no good the second time you watch it than it was the first time. Uh, any movie that can make Idris Elba dull is a movie that's not doing the right thing. Let's just put it that way. And I'm not sure if McConaughey was distracted or stoned. But there's a kind of energy level in his character playing the villain, the devil, basically, um, which kind of needs to be at about nine, where it's at about seven. And good villains in this kind of movie, and pretty much in any kind of escapist entertainment, need to have a certain theatricality about them. And we simply don't get that from McConaughey's character. It's flat. It's kind of, you know, like the smug drunk in a bar kind of acting. I don't think I'm going to watch that again, to be really honest with you. It's uh, disappointing. I didn't read the original Stephen King books. I'll be honest with you about that. I know they were immensely popular, but I had a lot of other things to read at the time, and I probably still do. Let's see. What else have I been watching? I did watch Superman Red Sun, the Disney... uh, Sorry, not Disney the DC animation based on the 2004 Mark Millar comic, which has the wonderful conceit of Superman landing in, not in Kansas as a baby, but actually in the Soviet Union in 1935. So they're kind of making it from all through the Cold War. And he um, is raised in the Soviet Union under Stalin. And it's kind of good. Uh, There have been 37 of these DC animation movies released, usually digitally. And they really are great. Uh, They have the ability to play with concepts without having enormous budgets. So they don't have to do things uh, live action. And it works. The uh, voice acting is pretty good. They've got Jason Isaac playing um, the Russian Superman. Diedrich Bader's playing uh, Lex Luthor. So, you know, really nice 
solid voice actors in there. The animation's crisp, and it is very much in the, the, that DC animation house style. And it works well. You get historic characters turning up. You get Stalin, of course. You get JFK. You get Eisenhower and a few other people. So, yeah, it's... um. I recommend you check that out if you're into comic adaptations at all. You could do a lot worse than watching Superman Red Sun. It really does have a lot going for it and really does expand the possibilities of Superman as a concept. What if Superman's ideology and kind of life story led him to a different conclusion than we got in the traditional Superman stories? And it also kind of questions in some ways uh, American nationalism and nationalism in general and the cult of personality as well. So there's a few different ideas that are being played with in that one that are worth exploring. And uh, it's definitely a recommend from me. By the way, if you're interested, it did get a DVD and Blu-ray release here in Australia. So you don't have to download a digital copy if you choose not to. And they're doing that with a lot of the DC animations here, which is kind of cool because I've picked up a couple of the Batman ones for $5 each at op shops back in the day when op shops were still open. And, uh, yeah, they uh, got them on Blu-ray. In fact, I got uh, the uh, one of the steampunk Batman ones and a couple of others which were kind of cool to acquire. And at that kind of price, I'm definitely going to do that. Okay, I've still got about a minute and a half before I have to start talking about Star Trek Picard and the movie I'm going to talk about as well, which I've just added mentally to this podcast. I've got the YouTube video out. This time it's about double features you should binge while you're in confinement, which makes everybody sound like they're pregnant, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I kind of enjoyed that. Uh, Part of it's out of focus because I fucked up. But I just let it go because I liked the way it sounded more than anything else, which is probably part of the podcast legacy, I suppose. But uh, yeah, that's up and available. I picked genres for it. So there's three genres. I do black exploitation, I do westerns, and I do James Bond films. So a double feature of each of those that I recommend people should check out. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Watch the fucking video. I'm going to do another one next week where I handle some different genres. I'm doing horror as one of the genres but kind of old-school, hammerish kind of horror rather than new-school, autopsy, live kind of horror. And I'll, I'll pick a couple of other genres that I think that uh, I can find a decent double feature for. So that's what's going to happen with those. Anyway, it's time to start talking about Star Trek Picard, the CBS All Access uh, TV series, which turned up here on Amazon Prime. Fortunately, I've got a subscription to that for a number of reasons. And here is the trailer. Would you like to finish it, Captain? I don't know how. That is not true, sir. It's all right, number one. I came here to find safety. But one is never safe from the past. Please, sir, someone's after me. 
I have an appointment. Your name, please, sir? Picard. P-I-C-A-R-D. It's nice to see you up and around again. We have an obligation to investigate. There is no we, Jean-Luc. Admiral, I am standing up for the Federation, for what it should still represent. This is no longer your house, Jean-Luc. Go home. I have to help her. You really want to go back out into the cold? More than ever. I have a plan. Another top secret, unauthorized rescue mission. This is everything that ever mattered to me. I'm going with you. I need your skill and your courage. The past is written. <sighs> but we are left to write the future. Hold on. was sent for a reason. I'll get the information we need. I help people who have no one else to help them. Dad! What? Come out here! Stop yelling! It's Jean-Luc Hello, Will. Jean-Luc. <laughs> waiting to be claimed. Thank you for not trying to talk me out of all this. <laughs> Believe me, I know better. <laughs> By the way, if you hear water, the, um, it's raining at the moment and it does come through into the man cave a little bit. Or at least the sound of it does. Fortunately, the water doesn't. But anyway, Star Trek Picard, it's interesting, uh, there aren't too many 79-year-old Yorkshiremen who get their own TV series, but Patrick Stewart's managed it with Star Trek Picard, and he carries it off well. Uh, there are bits where he um, has to do a little bit of running, and it's difficult for 79-year-old uh, guys to do that. Picard himself is somewhere around the century mark when this series happens because it's in the future and people lived longer then. Remember when people used to live longer before there was a coronavirus? Yeah. Anyway, let's step away from that for a moment. Um, it's a, The series is set a couple of decades after the death of Commander Data and Picard is retired from Starfleet after something really nasty happens. A whole bunch of synthetics, the kind of android beings that Data uh, is the first version of, uh, attack the Utopia Planitia shipyards on Mars and basically create a 9-11 kind of situation. The Martian atmosphere, which for some reason has some flammable gases in it along with the oxygen, uh, they must have done some kind of terraforming, I suppose, um, it catches on fire. The resources of the shipyards for Starfleet have been depleted. And Earth has very much gone into an isolationist stance, along with a ban on synthetic life forms. Um, Picard has tried to uh, do a mission to save the Romulans from a supernova in one of their main planetary systems. But Starfleet backed out of it because they withdrew all of their... Um, ships close to Earth, and therefore the Romulan 
species was decimated. Well, not decimated, because decimated means one-tenth of the population's gone. They've been basically um, almost made extinct. There aren't too many of them left. And some of they, the ones that have remained are not the nicest of beings. Let's just put it that way. Picard's retired to his estate where in France, where they um, grow wine grapes and make wine. And he's assisted really ably by Zaban and Laris, a couple of Romulans, who were previously members of the Tal Shiar, the Romulan Secret Service, and are now Picard's helpers and housekeepers, which is kind of cool. One of them is played by Jamie McShane, who was one of the actors in a TV series I really liked, Bosch. And the other one is played by an Irish actor, Orla Brady, who they both do a really nice job of it. Uh, anyway, uh, Picard meets a young woman called Daj, who turns out to be an android and has been activated in a Manchurian candidate kind of way. And is uh, she comes to Picard, asks for help, and she's destroyed. But Daj is one of a pair of identical twins, the other one being Soji. And so um, Picard decides to go back into space to find Soji and to find the mystery because there's something not right about the terrorist attack. It's not quite what it seems to have been. And um, he gathers together a kind of raggedy crew aboard a spaceship and they head off to find out what's happening. Uh, the, the supporting cast in this is really good. I'm not going to go and spoil this into individual episodes, but I'll kind of try to cover a bit of the arc. Um, you've got Alison Pill playing Agnes Girardi, who's uh, a synthetics researcher and has quite a complex story over the arc of the series. Um, Isa Briones plays Daj and Soji, and she's um, really good in it as well. Uh, Australian actor, very young Australian actor called Evan Evang. Eva Gora plays Elnor, a Romulan kind of ninja in a sense. And he's uh, an expert at hand-to-hand combat and he's been raised never to lie. He was kind of raised by a bunch of Romulan warrior nuns and he's been raised never to lie. And he's kind of the innocent there, but he's also a kick-ass kind of guy. Then we've got some interesting other characters as well. You get Michelle Heard playing Rafi Musica who's a former Starfleet intelligence officer living at Vasquez Rocks in California, which is really cool because Vasquez Rocks is one of the iconic um, outdoor locations for Star Trek as far back as the Gorn episode of the original series. And, uh, yeah, she's a complex character. She's got her own backstory. She's uh, got some substance abuse issues. She is very, very fond of Picard in a sisterly kind of way. And she doesn't take bullshit lightly let's put it that way and there's a lot of swearing in the series too which i really appreciate because i can't believe in any future where people don't fucking swear it's just for me uh, one of those kind of points at which i don't think it works and i won't put up with fake swear words that are done just to keep senses happy i don't have any tolerance for that at all we had santiago cabrera playing chris rios who is the captain of the ship that picard hires uh, he's the owner and pilot of La Serena, the ship. He's a thief, and he also has five emergency holograms aboard the ship, which all look and act like various aspects of his personality, which makes it really an interesting place to be. 
Uh, we get English actor Harry Turway playing Nerrick, a Romulan spy who is an arsehole, basically. And a, a whole bunch of other people come in. Uh, we get some callbacks to people from previous series. As the trailer indicates, we get uh, Jonathan Frakes as William Riker. Interest, Riker's arc during the time from Star Trek The Next Generation onwards is really interesting because with uh, Gene Roddenberry's original um, Star Trek Next Generation series, Riker was supposed to be a kind of ladies' man, space kind of scoundrel in a sense, while still being the second in command of a starship. He was very much embedded at that time in Gene Roddenberry's kind of playboy philosophy idea of human sexuality and um, how things should be between men and women. And over the various series and various iterations of this long, long saga, Riker's become a totally different person. He's kind of become his best self in a weird way, the character. And Jonathan Frakes does a really nice job of it. And he gets a few grace notes moments in there. We also get Marina Sirtis playing Deanna Troy. And seeing how Troy and Riker's relationship has developed since the TV series and the Star Trek Next Generation movies, which weren't particularly good, to be really honest, was a lot of fun. We get Jerry Ryan playing Seven of Nine, the former Borg drone who was liberated by Catherine Janeway on Star Trek Voyager and becomes uh, a kind of guerrilla fighter to help people in need. So she's kind of a cross between Robin Hood and Paladin. And, uh, yeah, she gets to kick some ass and do some serious things in there as well. Uh, Star Trek Picard works for me as a series. I like Star Trek Disco as well. I think that uh, Star Trek Discovery told its own story in its own way. And from a much earlier timeline, a time point, of course, than Star Trek Picard, because Star Trek Picard at this stage is as far into the Star Trek future as we've seen. And uh, it, it kind of makes the Federation universe a much more complex place for us as well. There are political ramifications, there are bureaucratic ramifications, there are social ramifications of changes in the um, Federation that are, play really important parts of this universe. And we also see that around the fringes of the Federation, particularly given the fact that the Federation has become a little more human-centric and isolationist, there are people out in the fringes who are, are living some pretty rough lives and there's a, a lot of crime and a lot of um, human rights abuses that go on in that area. We get to see a few other things. We get to see a derelict Borg cube where the former drones of that Borg cube are being rehabilitated to be the people they used to be. And that's an interesting aspect of things as well, which quite possibly will play out really nicely in Series 2. And there is going to be a Series 2 because we know that Whoopi Goldberg's coming back as Guinan because Patrick Stewart asked her to live on air and that stupid TV series she's on at the moment. But, um, yeah, it, it kind of works for me. It, it has that continuity between old Star Trek and new Star Trek through some of the characters and also through uh, particularly the character of Jean-Luc Picard, who is dealing with mortality and dealing with illnesses of various kinds and dealing with that vulnerability that comes with age 
and we see that and it's acknowledged and it plays out really well. There is a little bit of a deus ex machina ending to the series, but I'm not going to really complain about that because I think it uh, works in context. And one of the things that I think this series does well and does with a little more integrity than a number of other science fictional series and, to be honest with you, movie series that um, do new iterations of their story is that it does fan service right. And what I mean by that is the fan service we get in Star Trek Picard is honest. It's not just there to make everybody go squee. It serves the plot. It serves the story. It's not just box-ticking exercises in, we'll get that person in, we'll get them to say that, and everybody will go, wee. It's not that kind of um, fan service. The fan service is there to kind of honour the characters and to fold them into the plot. And there's not a character there that doesn't get their own moments to shine, and yet it doesn't feel like the people making this series are patting the fan base on the head and giving them a lollipop. It doesn't at all feel like that. And I kind of appreciate that because that other kind of fan service, which you see in in things like, um, of course, the Lucas franchise and also to to a really great extent in Doctor Who, um, it kind of infantilizes the fan base in a way, that kind of... um, cute fan service it really doesn't um yeah it caters to our sweet tooth for the things we enjoy rather than giving us something nourishing but i think star trek picard definitely does the opposite of that it gives us um some closure for one of the characters and it gives us a fondness and reminds us why we liked some of the other characters in the series is the mini series beforehand and because the series is opened up from the limitations of kind of um the commercial tv networks in america and the censorship they lived under before um everybody broke out to an online streaming kind of platform you get some moments of genuine horror in this series you get some swearing of course which is nice you get people having sex with each other um with no moralistic consequences to it, which is kind of nice. And you also get to take a series which was very much embedded in the 70s and early 80s on episodic television. You get it to grow up in in a number of ways. And I I do like that. I think that um, you can't keep a TV series in the cradle just because people watched it when they were young. I think that's definitely the wrong thing to do. And I think it's something that this particular series has improved on from earlier iterations. I liked it. Um, I want to see the second series yesterday, (laughs) but it's not been made yet. And with things as they are and lockdowns as they are and the changes to the world as it is, I'm not sure when the second series will be made, but I'm up for it. I think that there's more story to be told there. And I want to see more adventures with the crew of La Serena. I kind of like the idea of a much smaller crew and a much smaller starship being the focus of this, having a big kind of military 
um, vessel as the kind of platform on which the stories are told in Star Trek is something I like less than I used to. And I, I want to see where these characters go. There are some implications of some relationships in the, particularly the last episode and the last few moments of the series, which I find kind of interesting if they progress. And I also like the combination of younger and older actors interacting. Um, having a 79-year-old protagonist in the series and a whole bunch of actors in their early 20s all working together in the ensemble, I think is a rich environment for storytelling and a rich environment for the emotional tone of the series, which really works for me. Uh, just to kind of finalise things there, check it out if you haven't. If you have, you know all what I'm talking about there. But it's uh, it's nice to see Star Trek grow up in a sense. It's nice to see something that's not locked down by the cultural limitations of the censorship of American media, particularly um, broadcast media that's existed since the 1940s all the way into the 21st century. We don't have that anymore. We don't have those limitations. And I think that that's a richer source from which to grow stories than not being able to do certain things because somebody somewhere else in an office, which is usually politically and, to be honest with you, religiously based, is is a much better place for, for storytelling to grow from. So I'm going to take a break now and play some music. And then when we get back, I'm going to talk about the second thing I saw, which is the 2020 Vin Diesel movie Bloodshot, based on the Valiant comic series. And it's a bit of fun. I've got a little problem and I want you all to know. It started in Miami just a couple of weeks ago. I used to have a career on my mind. But now my career is all behind me. cha-cha than eat I could cha-cha till I'm dead on my feet I could cha-cha everybody I meet I'd rather cha-cha than eat I'm late for work every day Cause I cha-cha every inch of the way I should worry if the doc and my pay I'd rather cha-cha it's gay My life's a riot I'm on a cha-cha Practically a public disgrace I'd rather cha-cha than chit-chat A plate of steak doesn't matter Just pass me a platter of Latin American meat No meat, no thanks I'd rather cha-cha than eat When I get into my bed I do the cha-cha instead Though my legs are getting heavy as lead I'd rather cha-cha than nap 
I'm not invited to dine. It's an awful waste of lobster and wine. I'm so busy exercising my spine and doing things with my lap. Who cares for Cupid? I think that Cupid's stupid. I've had my chance to try out romance. I'd rather dance. I'd rather wiggle my frame than do any other thing I can name. Nothing else exactly sets me aflame. I'd rather cha-cha than foxtrot. Forget that plate of au gratin. Just play something Latin so I can start moving my seat. Toot sweet. I'd rather cha-cha the waltz. Who cares? I'd rather cha-cha the polka. Oh, I hate that. I'd rather cha-cha the merengue. That's something you eat. And I'd rather cha-cha than eat. Oh, I just love it. I just, I'll never. Oh, I, I adore it. Ooh, ah, Cha-cha-cha. That was I'd Rather Cha-Cha Than Eat by Phyllis Diller in her very first album, which was called Wet Toe in a Hot Socket. And, um, yeah, I kind of like it. It's uh, a bit of a mood breaker there. So it's time to talk about the 2020 Vin Diesel movie made on a budget of $40 million called Bloodshot, based on the Valiant Comics comic book series, which started in about 2004, and which I haven't read yet, but I soon will. I'm going to do the trailer of it and then let you know what I thought. I kind of like the fact that the trailer uses Johnny Cash in a very creative way there. And there's a little bit of meta stuff in the trailer as well, which is it's kind of cool. And initiate sequence. Gina, I'm home. Memories are made of this. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you this, but you got yourself killed at RST. We'd rebuild the most important assets in the U.S. military. Soldiers like yourself. You're the first who we've successfully managed to bring back. But improved, enhanced. With the technology in your veins, you have an army inside you that will not only make you stronger, it will heal you instantly. Holy shit. Now tell me, do you remember anything? Where are you going? I've got unfinished business. I'm gonna find the man who murdered my wife and kill him. Oh, that's not good. All right, shut him down. And initiate sequence. Okay, who is the next target for elimination? Tell me, do you remember anything? Do I know you guys? I don't think so. <laughs> They've been manipulating you. What you think is real. Sometimes ain't. And initiate sequence.
hold me for that. Sure about that? Revenge is what makes a man like you exceptional. You know nothing about men like me. That is absolutely fantastic. I feel like I just heard this. Are they playing this on repeat? Okay, Bloodshot's a 2020 science fiction action film starring Vin Diesel, based on the Valiant Comics character of the same name. Uh, It was intended to be the first installment in a series of films set within a Valiant Comics shared cinematic universe. That's what I'm reading off Wikipedia anyway. Cool idea and why not? I'm all for more superhero cinematic universes. I'm locked into that and I'm willing to give them all a go. And I know the Vin Diesel is a lot of fun. I mean, I didn't like as much the Fast and Furious movies after you didn't get Vin Diesel in them, when people who were even more pumped and muscular took over the franchise. But for me, it it kind of works. I think that uh, Diesel was great in the Riddick movies. I want to see another one of those too. And even though he is starting to, I think he's in his 50s now, he's starting to get a little bit older. I think that there's a certain gravitas he brings to this kind of an action role and um, a lived experience of doing this kind of movies that makes this one work. Like I said, the budget wasn't fantastically big. It was actually $45 million. Only made 29.7. but on the other hand, coronavirus came along and that kind of fucked things a lot. And um, the movie was, it was made in 2018 in uh, South Africa, Prague, Czech Republic and Hungary. But I think there's a lot of post-production in this one because graphically and visually, there's a lot of good um, CG used to enhance the visual storytelling of this one. Uh, There are some similarities to certain action sequences in the MCU, and of course you're going to get some parallels there. There's an elevator fight that takes the one in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, to a totally new level. And kind of works. It's it's not something we we've seen similar before, but I think this one has um, a kinetic wonderfulness to it that makes it work. And I think that there are a couple of other action sequences, particularly one in a road tunnel where a truck full of flour gets overturned, and all the flour gets spread around, and the rest of the uh, fight scenes take place in that environment was a bit imaginative, though I think they missed an opportunity in that one because flour is crazily explosive if it's particulates in the air, and they don't actually use that as one of the tropes. Maybe they couldn't get the money to do it or something. But um, flour explosions in flour mills are a not unknown thing, and I would have liked to have seen a bit of explosion during that action sequence. It didn't happen, but that's kind of okay because what you've got here is a guy going up against a whole bunch of armed guards and his body is constantly being regenerated by nanites as he's being shot to pieces by various heavy weapons. And the way that CG is using this is really good. It's interesting. It it serves the story. There are some parts of it that uh, mimic the way that the comic looks, which is always a nice thing. And for me, it just kind of worked. And also, the the locations are a little bit different. Uh, The bits around Cape Town look a little bit like some parts of suburban Sydney, which is kind of interesting. And uh, you've got some footage, of course, in various parts of Europe. But 
the story worked for me as well because um, it, the main character, Bloodshot, played by Vin Diesel, his other name, his like, human name is Ray Garrison, which is a, one of those names that they give to soldiers. Um, he's a, a kind of a um, U.S. Marine. He's a U.S. Marine. I just had to double-check that. U.S. Marine, he's on holidays with his wife, Gina, on the Italian Amalfi Coast. They get kidnapped by a group of mercenaries, and a guy called Martin Axe kills both Ray and his wife. Ray wakes up. He's resurrected by Rising Spirit Technology, a company that specializes in developing cybernetic enhancements for disabled U.S. military personnel. This is coming off uh, Wikipedia, by the way. The company's CEO, Dr. Emil Harting, Harting sorry, uh, played by Australian actor Guy Pearce, I always like Guy Pearce in a movie, tells Ray that he's the first successful candidate to have been resurrected using a special nanite technology. His body regenerates. The nanites need to be kind of recharged and replaced as they're used up by the repair process. There's no kind of battery thing to um, re-energize them in that sense. Uh, he is resurrected and... He gets access to the information about where Martin Axe is and goes on a revenge rampage along the usual lines. Only that's not what's really happening. I'm not going to do any spoilers on this one because it's a good, solid little action film that really does work for me. Um, there are some nice supporting characters. Uh, the American actor Lamont Morris plays a cockney computer genius called Wilfred Wiggins. Uh, even though the Lamont Morris himself is actually an American, he does a pretty good Cockney accent in this one. Um, he's really good in it. We've got Aza Gonzalez playing KT, a woman who also has cybernetic enhancements, hers are to do with breathing. She um, had an injury to her esophagus and her throat, so she breathes through a cybernetic port in her upper chest, which also enables her to swim underwater for a long time. Um, we get a, a couple of other... Um, guys, one of which has um, damaged eyes, so he wears a chest harness, which has a lot of cameras on it, so he gets 360 degree vision, and he can also link into other cameras, so that basically he becomes an Argus kind of thing with a million eyes, he can um, see through drones, he can do a whole bunch of other things uh, visually based and another soldier who lost both his legs and had large damage to his spine, which enabled, uh, which had been replaced, of course, but also enables him to hook onto various cybernetic apparatuses through the spinal link and basically turn into a militarised, better-than-Dr-Octopus kind of character. Um, as the story elaborates, we find out what's actually happening. The um, action sequences get better. And Vin Diesel brings his A-game to the acting as well. There are scenes where he has to really feel emotional pain, and he does it really, really well. I think that, uh, I mean, obviously he's jacked himself for this movie as well. He's looking quite muscular and jacked, and that kind of works. But for this one too, there are some emotional beats that he needs to hit, and he does hit them um, quite accurately. Uh, I don't think that uh, they're hit as well by one or two other actors. There's a scene with his wife, played by Tallulah Riley, Gina, towards the middle end of the film, 
where it doesn't play as powerfully as it might otherwise. The director, David S.F. Wilson, and he's got to find a better name than that, uh, is a first-time film director, so I think that missing that emotional beat um, with Gina and Ray really does weaken that particular part of it, but I don't think his main emphasis was the emotional arcs in the movie. It was more the action sequences and how to convey a comic book character to the screen in a way that doesn't get too reminiscent of Marvel. Now, of course, they've got Guy Pearce in it, and he was the main bad, um, Aldrich Killian, in Iron Man 3, and the character he plays here is somewhat dissimilar to Killian, but fulfills the same role in the story. Uh, so the, there is that kind of parallel there where this one might suffer, though for a lot of people, Iron Man 3 wasn't the best of the Iron Man movies. I didn't mind it so much, but um, a lot of people dislike it. Guy Pearce is a good actor. If you haven't seen his Jack Irish television movies that were filmed here in Australia over the last five or six years, you should check those out to see another aspect of this guy's instrument because he really can carry a movie himself but for the most part in a lot of movies he gets relegated to kind of second tier the villain role um i he i don't think he was well served by the 2004 version of the time machine but i think that in a lot of ways guy pierce can definitely carry a film himself and there are some little bits of his character that really kind of demonstrate what's been called the banality of evil his character doesn't... It's an underwritten character. It's a very underwritten character. He's Dr. Harting. But I think that he does give it a certain kind of understated menace that I really appreciated as well. It worked for me at that level. I don't think this is the best movie, but it's um, there's a kind of thin field of movies in 2020, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of things coming out on streaming services, but... To be honest, I don't know how many feature films we're going to see come out this year. It just depends on how the virus plays in a number of different places. And one of the interesting things about all of this, and I'm drifting off bloodshot, I think I'll leave that there. One of the interesting things here is how entertainment has been changed by the pandemic. And, uh, of course, some big projects like the James Bond film, No Time to Die have been delayed. The Marvel movie Shang-Chi has been put back to May 2021, which is kind of cool because that makes it a summer blockbuster film. And I'm quite pleased and I'm looking forward to that one. But the this year's going to be kind of a weird year for cinema because in the 120-year history of cinema, there hasn't really been a year where they stopped making movies before. Even during wars, during World War One and during World War Two, films were still being made. Audiences needed entertaining. People got out into cinemas because they were able to. Even during the pandemic in 1918, movies were still being made. But this time around, it's kind of like the whole machine of entertaining us has ground down. And, of course, there's a lot of things coming out on Netflix and other streaming services, which were going to be released later in the year, but are now being moved forward in order to fill that vacuum that we have from not being able to see films. There are also some films that were in post-production when the virus came in, 
which are going to land on streaming services and other platforms rather than going to a cinematic release. There's talk of doing it with Black Widow, for instance. So the way we're delivered of movies and the way we're consuming them has changed a lot. I love going to the cinema. It's always been a sanctuary for me to go to the cinema and to sit in that dark room and look at the electric shadows with a bunch of strangers and be away from the world in that sense. Um, Having that darkened box to sit in while you watch the movie really did cocoon me at various stages of my life when things weren't particularly easy. And that's one thing that's been taken away from me. It's a nice escape from me. Even to this day, um, up until all of this started, just getting out of the house and, and walking the kilometre and a half down to the cinema and going to see a movie. Even you know, I got in cheaply, of course, because I've got a senior's discount now. But going to see a movie and kind of in, being in that place and in that bubble and watching a film... It's a comfort to me. It calms me down. It uh, delights me as well. But it's something that it's got to be put on hold. And to be honest with you, when I am able to go back to a cinema, I think I'm going to really enjoy the experience. I think that it's going to be overwhelming. And I, I may well cry. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of things that we're going to do once this virus is gone which are going to be intensely emotional experiences for us. And it's okay that they are. Um, Allowing that we all do get through it, we're going to have gone through something extraordinary and something in a way that will define the rest of our lives. I hope in a positive way for us all. But one way or the other, it will define the rest of our lives and we really have to, in some way, I suppose in our own way record this and note this and put it into a context for ourselves and to be honest with you for history things you know 50 100 years from now people are going to be going over your facebook and your twitter and your tiktok and your pinterest and your instagram and all of those other ways in which we reach out to the world just so they can understand what life was like on a very, very broad scale during this pandemic, allowing, of course, the people 100 years from now have technology of any kind. And um, that in itself is another question. But we are in real time recording the history of this moment with almost everything we do that has anything to do with people outside our immediate vicinity. And I kind of think that's cool. I think that the more inputs we have, the less censorship is able to restrict the way that a certain event is seen. Um, if you have a look at Twitter, and I see some right-wing people, I see some left-wing people, I see people all through the political and social spectrum, particularly on my Twitter. I think that the currents and arguments and ideologies and viewpoints and insights and perspectives that we're getting are in some small way a kind of substitute for physical face-to-face interaction and i like the way that people are adapting to this and people are finding ways to be creative and to be kind and to be gentle and to be supportive across electronic platforms it's just a marvelous thing to see there are, there are some horrible things about all of this and there are many many horrible things of course about all of this but there are also the points at which 
people are finding ways to express their best selves. And I really like that. I think that it's important. I think that it's a demonstration of our best natures to do all that stuff. I mean, I did uh, some uh, Facebook FaceTime with my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew yesterday. And it was a good thing for us to do. We got silly. We talked. We touched base with each other. We um, communicated well. And we bonded even though I can't cross the border to see them in New South Wales anymore. I've got a sister and I've got five nieces and a grandniece in Queensland. I can't physically, if I, even if I drove, get across those borders to see them, um, even though I, I wasn't particularly inclined to before this. The, the fact that I can't has kind of pissed me off in a lot of ways. And I think that that's one of the issues we're going to have to work through with this stuff too. The fact that things that were simple are now impossible. So we're living in interesting times and we've got tons of entertainment, which is a good thing. It'd be horrible if you're just stuck with you know, uh, toil- enough toilet paper, a whole bunch of food and a Jekyll and Suzanne novel. Uh, but we've got entertainment, we've got distraction and we've got ways to reach out to each other, this podcast included. And on that not unoptimistic note, I'm going to leave it there. Anyway, in the meantime, uh, I'm going to, of course, do the credits in the style of movie credits to who support the podcast, including um, Rich C. I'm not sure whether he's on the Patreon credits yet, but he soon will be if he isn't. Um, and, and all of the newer people who have um, joined the Patreon as well. I hope you guys are, are hanging in there. I hope that your family get through this as well, and your friends and everybody about whom you care. It is tough times, and it is going to impact us all. But I think that we have to support each other as well. But anyway, watch some good movies. Watch some bad movies. For fuck's sake, watch my YouTube channel. It needs the views, and it needs the subscribers. And I'll be back as soon as I possibly can with another podcast. I've got to do a Paleo Cinema next, and I kind of know what I'm going to do for that one. And um, then, of course, another Martian driving. So take care of yourselves. I'm going to play some music after the credits as well, as I always do. But, you know, take care. Um, if you need to reach out to me for whatever reason, do so. I'm usually up for a bit of a chat. And here, of course, are the credits to honour the people who support the Patreon for this podcast at patreon.com slash paleocinema. I'll check you guys next time. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the Technicolor Consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master, Morris, the musical director, Jan, the dialect coach, Arm and our key grip, Matt, the rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, our camera operator, Christopher, our gaffer, Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress, Tansy, our Foley artist, Alyssa, our location scout, Mark, our second unit director, 
Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H., our set photographer. Mark D., our extra. And David L., our extra. Kerry H., who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J., who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. We really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. The honey wind blows and the warm days dwindle. The butterfly spins a silk cocoon on a silvery spindle. The petals fall from the last red rose. The last red rose when the honey wind blows. The petals fall and the summer goes, the summer goes when the honey wind blows. Just a little bit older I sit alone Where the fire glows The fire glows When the honey wind blows I sit alone And the good Lord knows I love you so Blows. When the honey wind blows 